somebody. So, so I, I want to ask you this. What's our family? As a church, as a community on this hill, why are we here? Um, for those that call this place home, that, that this is where you, you call this my home church, a better question, why are you here? I mean, why, why, why are you here? What compels you to get up on a Sunday morning, for some of you, your only day off, but yet you are compelled to wake up early. Uh, well, you're at 11 a.m. To wake up kind of early. <laughs> fight with your kids to get them ready and then throw them in a van, a car, or whatever, and get them here. Why are you here? Why, as we kick this off, what makes us compelled to be here? Are we here just as a church? Are we here as a church just to do church a little different from everybody else? Is that why we're here? Are we here uh, because, hey, the music's good, and, man, the preaching is exceptional. Uh, I mean, is that why we're... Nobody's fair to say no there. Come on now. Simone, Simone, I say Simone, Simone. Uh, I feel like we were watching something. They kept saying Shimon. Wasn't come on, it's Shimon, Shimon. Uh, are we here because um, for an hour and a half somebody's going to watch your kids for free? Come on, come on. Are we here just because, well, today it was convenient for me. It wasn't really an inconvenience for me, so I didn't have anything better going on, so that's why I'm here. In the South, are we here because, well, it's just what we do. It's our tradition. I was raised going to church. It's just what I do, Kelly. So why are we here? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Why are we here in Decatur, Tennessee, on a hill, sitting right off of State Highway 68? Uh, why did 38 years ago God speak to Kenneth and Connie Goins and say, hey, I... I got an idea. I got a great place for a church. It's in the middle of nowhere. Because we're here more for any of those other reasons. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. We're here because God has a place. Here's the thing. We're here more than just to take up a seat on Sunday mornings. I'm talking to people that call this home. Now, if you're a visitor, just enjoy this right now. Uh, I'll come to you here in a minute. So, but I, I mean, we're here. We're here more for than just tradition. We're we're here more than just to give other people options of where they can go to church. Can I tell you this? This community, this area, doesn't need another church. They need a hospital. They need a place broken people can go to. They need a place they can walk in the doors and feel accepted, even, no matter what they look like no matter where they've been, no matter what, that's what they, they need a place that represents Jesus well in this community. I listened to the message a couple of weeks ago. I, I came home telling uh, uh, Denise, uh, uh, Denise, I think I even told the staff, that it was called Rep- Represent Christ. And he said, he said, it feels like what we've been called to do is represent Christ because right now the world has had such a bad representation of who Christ is and his church. We need to represent them to who Jesus really is. And I believe that's why we've been called. See, everyone in this room, I, I'm convinced you cannot tell me something about yourself that would convince me otherwise. I'm convinced every person in this room, I don't care your background, where you're from, 
uh, where you're, uh, whether you, you, you make a good living, whether you're living off food stamps. I don't care your ethnicity, any of that stuff. Here's what I'm convinced. Every person in here, those watching online, you have a purpose. God has a reason. He placed you here. Every one of you. Well, well, Kelly, no. I, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I don't sing very well. I don't play any instruments. I don't speak good in public. Uh, I don't like kids, not even my own. Um, you know, I don't even like changing my own baby's dirty diaper. And you want me to volunteer for this? And I, I, if God has something for me to do, I wish he'd tell me what it is. Anybody ever said that? Come on. If God has a, come on, let's be honest. If God has a purpose for my life, if there's a calling, if there's a ministry for my life, I wish God would just tell me plainly what it is. Anybody? Yeah. The rest of you, I'm assuming you already know what that calling is. And that you're walking it out. But the good news for those that have ever said that, I'm going to tell you what it is today. From the Word. Not, not, this is not Kelly's opinion. This is what the Apostle Paul arguably the, the greatest church planner ever, wrote a third of the New Testament. Uh, this is what he says. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. This will open up with a very familiar verse, especially for those that have been in church. And then it's going to dive into what our purpose, what our ministry, what our call, everyone in here is called if you're a follower of Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. Are you ready for your purpose to be revealed? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't say he gave a chosen few the ministry of reconciliation. Those that were talented enough, those that had it all together, those that claimed to be followers of Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Anybody thankful for that? Woo, I am. Now Paul's getting ready to double down. And he has committed to us, what? The message, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul wants to make it clear, so now he's going to triple down, if that's a thing. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. Look at your neighbors, say, I'm, a, I'm Christ ambassador. Now tell your second choice. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Get this. As though God were making, God is making his appeal through us. What was his appeal? For us to tell people, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He said, here's your gift. Here's your ministry. On Christ's behalf, represent Jesus to the world. Tell them, Come on, that, that word implore literally means to beg. beg. Be reconciled to God. Now, let me ask, how many people you say, you've been, you've been rescued by God? Come on, you've been rescued, you're saved, you, you know what it's like. A absolutely. Uh, th that, that's what Paul says, he says, you've been reconciled, you've been rescued, that's great for you. But there's a whole lot more than just getting rescued 
and then sitting on the sidelines. Come on. Paul's like, you've been rescued, but now just because you've been rescued, that, that doesn't mean it's time for you to sit around and talk about how great heaven's going to be someday. Come on, anybody, anybody old school, I'm going to tell my age and where I come from. When we all get to heaven, what a day. I knew my people were here. See, oh, we, we couldn't wait to get to heaven. The problem is, God didn't save us to talk about wanting to get to heaven. He saved us to rescue people. Uh, in fact, I got a little ahead of myself, so if you're taking notes, you were rescued to rescue. You were rescued to rescue. You've been rescued by God. As a follower of Jesus, guys, listen, as a follower of Jesus, as one who has been rescued, you and I have to be willing to step outside our comfort zones, have conversations with people we care about, and tell them about someone who changed our lives. We've got to be willing to do that. Uh, if you look at our website and you click on core values, one of the, or if you've been one of, one of our new to the bar lunches, this is one of our core values. Found people, find people. Found people, find people. In other words, rescued people, rescue people. We rescue people. We really believe that. And I know where, see, I know where I was when Jesus found me. So to say he just found me is an understatement. He rescued me. Can anybody relate? I know some of you have been good your whole lives. That's great. That ain't my testimony. He rescued me. And it wasn't one of these, hey, let's throw out a little safety thing. He, it's like he had to send in the seals to drag this boy and rescue this boy. I was rescued. I was rescued. And here's the thing, this may rub some of you wrong, but according to the Bible, it is impossible for someone who says they are a follower of Jesus to not care about the people Jesus cares about. It's impossible. You cannot say, truly be, I mean, come on, people call themselves that all the time, but you cannot literally really be a follower of Jesus and not care about the people he cares about. Anybody remember um, the, the mandate that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28? It was called the Great, the Great Commission. Here's the problem with the church world today. We've narrowed, we've, we, instead of the Great Commission, we've made it the Great Suggestion. Well, if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, go and make disciples. If it's in your wheelhouse, go and make disciples. If it doesn't inconvenience you. No, no, no. Jesus said, hey, hey, this power has been given to me. Now go, therefore, make disciples. Go do it. Go do it. And, but, but the thing is, we, we've treated it as a suggestion. And the thing is, as a pastor, I'm not here to make you feel comfortable. In fact, if there's not a point in, during my message where you kind of go, I don't know about that. Or just rubs you the wrong way. I'm not done my job. I'm here to stretch you. I'm here to make you. I hope you go home and check out. I'm going to find out if that's really in the Bible. I hope you do. I want you to go check it out. I want you to go research. But my job is to, is to stretch you. To cause you to grow. And how many know growing is not comfortable? Come on. Anybody ever decide you're going to go work out the gym? 
You go to the gym that first day, you're crushing it. The next morning, you can't even sit down on the toilet. You're like, oh my, oh, I pulled something. No, you're, you're just not used to moving all that. Because it, it hurts you to grow. It hurts you to stretch. So I want to give you four questions today. One word questions if you're taking notes. One word. And, and then we're going to talk about it here a minute. The first question, when? This is a question that must be answered. When, when, when what? When did you meet Jesus? I mean, when did it happen? I know it seems kind of foolish to ask in the South because uh, in the South, everybody will tell you they're Christians um, pretty much. Uh, they, they, they assume that, well, yeah, I'm Christian. That, mean, that just means to them they're not some other religion. But, and especially it seems foolish since I'm in church. But seriously, when did you meet Jesus? When did you get found? You've got to be able to answer that question because there are a lot of people here, to, even here today, some online, that your mind, your process is this. You think that just because you grew up in church, just because mom and daddy, grandma, grandpa took you to church every weekly or every week uh, because you were confirmed or sprinkled as a baby, well, you're okay. My question is, when did you meet Jesus? When did you get found by Jesus? I have to ask you that question, man. When, when did that happen? Now turn with me to John chapter 1, and we're really going to dig into the Scripture. We'll be at the rest of the day. I want to show you something. John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus is going looking for his disciples. Here's what happens. Look. The next day... Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. These next words are important. If you've got, uh, if you've one of those that underline words in the Bible or highlight them on your Bible app, highlight, underline these two words. It says, finding Philip. Jesus, he decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Finding Philip, follow me. Now, who found who? Come on, it's not true. Who found who? Do you know why Jesus? Do you know why Philip didn't find Jesus? He wasn't looking for him. He wasn't looking for him. See, we we'll, you'll hear people say, "Man, I found God." Uh, no, he didn't. He wasn't lost. You were. And the Bible says, you know, that no man comes to God unless the Spirit draws him. He found you. He found you. See, the, 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 when, the thing about us, before our encounter with Jesus, mine, I was dead, I was lost, and I was blind. Come on, anybody relate? I had an encounter with Jesus. Now I've been found, and I'm alive, and I can see. That was an encounter. But it's not because I found him. It was because he found me. He found me. Anybody, anybody ever have to tell you you were lost when you were out there in the world? I mean, they didn't mean. I mean, I was actually kind of proud of my hell raisingness. That's a word. You got to tell me I was lost. I knew I was lost. I, I knew. I, listen, I know who I'm speaking to, so I'm convinced some of you, you got an early start on being lost. Some of you are like in fifth grade. Other kids are over here doing crafts, and you're over in the corner snorting Elmer's glue. Uh, 
You over here, oh, Barbie. What you got on there, Barbie? See, some of y'all didn't take you. It didn't take you. But nobody had to tell you you were bad, right? Nobody had to tell you were lost. Nobody had to tell me I was lost. And the problem with growing up in the South is this, though, those that went to church. A lot of people grew up in church, but they never made the switch from being in church to being in Christ. And they assumed they were the same thing. But there is a huge difference from being in church and being in Christ. You ever ask someone, hey, are are, are you a Christian? And they kind of give you an answer like, I think I am. You ever had that? You, you know, here, here's what's funny about that. I never ask a single person, hey, are you single? And they go, I think I am. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I th- yeah, I, th- I think I am. I never ask a married couple, hey, how long y'all been married? We've always been married. I can tell you. I got married um, uh, April 27th, 1991. I made this woman the happiest woman in the world on that day. Here's the thing. Because you know. So when did Jesus find you? When, when did you come to the realization, man, I'm lost, I'm broken? And you, as an individual, made the decision, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. When did that happen to you? you you've got you, to know when it happened. Here, here's what I'm, what I'm getting at. If you tell me, well, Kelly, I got saved when I was 10 years old, and here you are 30, 40, 50 years later, and there's not a lot changed in you and your life. You still got the same sorry attitude. You're still a jerk to your wife or your husband. You st- Come on, you, nothing's changed. I question the validity of your, you meeting Jesus because things should change in your walk. And let me show you why, why, why I mean that. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, they'll tell me they've been saved for 30 years, and I'm like, man, I liked you better before you were a Christian. Because you're just a jerk. Come on. Be honest. I know it's church, and we're supposed to not exactly tell all the truth. Put a mask on. We were putting masks on long before COVID. You see, when Jesus said, said, finding Philip, Jesus said to Philip, follow me. That wasn't, hey, just follow me. What it was, it was an invitation. Because Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis had these, these, these people called Talmuds, these young men called Talmuds. And what they were, they, they would go, man, I, I want to I wanna be your Talmud. What that did, that Talmud, what it would do, it would do everything possible to mimic, to become exactly like the rabbi they were following. I mean, they wanted to become just like him. And, and so when Jesus said to Philip, follow me, it was an invitation. Be, be my Talmud. Do what I do, Philip. Do exactly what I do. See, the goal of any Talmud in that time was to become exactly like their rabbi, to look like him, to walk like them, to, 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 to respond like them. That was to go. They mimicked them. 
Everything about it. My goal, your goal as a follower of Jesus should be to become just like Jesus. We, our goal should be, I want to see people the way Jesus sees people. I want to love people the way Jesus loves people. One of my prayers, I pray every, I, almost every day is, God, help me today to see people the way you see them. You know why I pray that? Because almost all the time it's easier for us to see other people's sin and what's going on in their lives and, and us to look down on them when we've got some junk going on in our own lives. And so I say, God, don't let me see them by what the world has defined them as. Let me see them the way you see them. Let me show grace like Jesus showed grace. Let me, man, the way you talk to the Father and the way the Father talked to you, Jesus, that's what I want. And Jesus, that when you said, not my will but yours be done, let me be that. That is the goal. The end game to being a follower of Jesus at the end of the day is not to say, man, I followed all the rules. I got it 100% right. That's not the end game. The end game is that every day I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's the end game of being a follower of Jesus. And maybe you say, well, Kelly, you know what? I would honestly, I'd like to be a follower of Jesus. I just can't keep all the rules. Let me, let, let me help you out. You're right. You can't. And neither can I. That's why we need Jesus. That's exactly why we need Jesus. Because we can't keep all the rules. We need Jesus to come into our life and alter some things in our life. Come on. So when did Jesus find you? When did you make that decision to surrender to Christ? Because it's hard to be passionate about someone that you don't really know. The second question. What? Or more lengthy, what consumes you? What consumes you? I remember when we were living down in Swanee, the Atlanta area, uh, and I was going to the gym down there, and because of my work schedule, I had to go really early in the morning. And I, I used to not be an early morning person at all. I think me and Denise have flipped roles now. I'm, I'm that early morning person. But back then, man, I would go and I was just dragging. So I asked, hey, you need to get some pre-workout. I got on the internet, Google, found, oh, jacked. I ordered this stuff called jacked. What could be better than jacked? So I got this stuff. It came in. I'm getting I'm going to go to work uh, to the gym the next morning. I get up. I'm reading it. This, if you're not used to a supplement like this, take only half a scoop. Please. I'm a man. I'm a man. I ain't taking half of nothing. Buddy, I poured that whole scoop in there. I shook it up. I, now, I've never done anything like this now. So I, I drank it. I'm five minutes from the gym. Time I got to the gym. I thought my face was melting. <laughs> Literally, it was on fire. I, walked, I, I had to look like a madman when I walked in the gym. I don't know who was there. I don't even know if anybody was there. I walked in. It didn't matter. You've never done this much weight. Put it on there. Let's just hit it. What happened? I be, this stuff consumed me. 
I didn't worry about, I wasn't worried about what anybody else thought about me at the time. I wasn't worried about, man, it consumed me. And as followers of Jesus, we should be so consumed with Jesus, we don't even notice what other people are thinking. Because we're consumed with what Jesus is consumed with. Well, what's Jesus consumed with, Kelly? Jesus was consumed with people who are far from God. And that's us. Man, we need to get that. We, we, we need to get to that place where we are consumed with those. My, my, my heart, man, it, it needs to break for those people that need to be rescued by God. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said this, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Jesus said, these are the ones I came for. And he says, finding Philip, Jesus said, follow me. Philip begins to follow him. I want you to notice what happens next in the story, verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. Jesus found Philip. Philip goes and finds his good friend, Nathaniel. And he's so excited. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What was the first thing that Philip did after being found by Jesus? What? He goes and finds find somebody else. He goes to find somebody else. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. As we approach this century's weekend in Easter, who do you know that needs to be found with Jesus? Because we all know somebody. A co-worker, a friend from school, family member, neighbor, waiter at the restaurant you frequent, that cashier at the gas station that you go into every morning on your way into work. We all know someone that doesn't know what a relationship with Jesus really looks like. And though they may not say it openly, we talked about this longing and hunger last week. Though they may not say it openly, there is a hunger and a longing for something that truly satisfies because they're trying everything else and it is leaving them empty. See, here's the truth, guys. I've said this so many times. You, you, you didn't lock eyes with anyone last week that does not matter to the heart of God. When you leave this and you leave this place, you go out to eat or you go to Walmart, you, go, you will not lock, lock eyes with anybody that doesn't matter to the heart of God. Maybe you don't like the way they look. Maybe you don't like the way they dress. Maybe you don't like the way they represent themselves. But I'm going to tell you, to God, He loves them dearly. He loves them. And I'm telling you, we need to get to a place where we represent Jesus to this world. Representing. So, what consumes you? Question number three. How? See, when I, when I think about this, I, I don't think it's a matter of people not really that you don't want to go out 
and invite or go out and find someone. I just think the church has done a really poor job at teaching people how to do it. We tell people, hey, go find people. Hey, go do this, go do that. But we don't tell them how to do it. And then because of that, we hear the word evangelism. And what comes to your mind? The guy on the corner holding a sign. uh, Everybody's going to hell. Pretty much that's what they're saying. I'll never forget Denise and I went to a concert in Atlanta a few years back to see you too. And we're walking into this, car, this, uh, this stadium. Guy out there on the corner holding up a sign. Bono is the Antichrist. <laughs> the thing is, that they, they don't know because they don't like the way Bono looks. Do they not know that he's a born-again Christian? And they weren't in that, that stadium filled with 80,000 people. We're in there. And about halfway through the show, Bono stops and leads 80,000 people in amazing grace. And so we hear that word evangelism. And he gets so many negative connotations uh, about that. Because, come on, we've seen the signs. God hates fags. Come on, we've seen the signs. We've seen, and I'm like, whoa. Show me where that it says that in the Bible. And we hear that. Can I tell you the best definition of evangelism I've ever heard was from a guy named D.T. Niles. He was a pastor and evangelist out of Sri Lanka. He says, here's what evangelism is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's evangelism. It's one guy that was hungry, that was desperate, that found the bread, that found the one thing that could satisfy him, and him going telling his friends that are beggars also, hey, I found it. That's what evangelism is. You ever had something? Here, here's the problem with telling people or inviting people to church. You ever had something great happen to you and Man, it just blows your mind. You, you're so excited. You can't wait to tell your friends. You're so, I mean, you can't even contain yourself. So then when you get to tell your friends about this exciting thing that happened to you, they're like, that's great. I'm glad it happened to you. And then not only did they're not as excited as you thought they should be, but then they kind of begin to question the validity of what you're telling them. Now, did that really happen? Did you really, come on, come on, did that really happen in, in, in that way? Well, let's relate this to inviting people to church. You ever invited someone to church and they shut you down before you even got started? Hey, hey, that's, I'm happy for you. That's great for you, but that just ain't my thing. I, I'm just not about that. You know, you're not alone because after, I know it says that, that Philip found Nathaniel. But Nathaniel's response after that, I mean, Philip is excited. Nathaniel, I found the one. I found the Messiah. I found Jesus of Nazareth. And look what Nathaniel's response is. Nazareth? Anything good come from there? I thought you'd be, I just told you I found the Son of God, the Messiah. Does it really matter where he's from? Come on, we all know Nazareth. Ain't nobody good come out of there. We all know Ten Mile. 
We all know shutting gap. Come on. Ain't nothing good come out of that. Harris boys are living proof of that. No. But that was his response. I mean, you feel you think that Philip may have had the wind knocked out of him? He's excited. God, you gotta come and see this. I mean never share anything with Nathaniel again. He's a buzzkill. Philip's just met excited. Or just met Jesus. He's excited. He's got a friend that he knows could use a change in his life. He goes, tells him all about Jesus. And instead of Nathaniel being excited, Nathaniel's like, man, nothing good come out of that place. Here's the truth, guys, when it comes to inviting people or telling them about Jesus. There has always and will always be skeptics. Always. Do you know the biggest difference maker when, when, when you meet up with a, a skeptic? How you respond to them. Do you remember when Jesus, he had died, he had resurrected, but the disciples were, didn't really know if they believed that he had resurrected, so they were hiding out for their lives, and then they're locked in a room, and Jesus just appears in the room. Thomas isn't there, though. And so after Jesus leaves, they see Thomas. Thomas, you're not going to believe it. Jesus showed up. He was there in the flesh. And Thomas is like, man, I don't buy it, guys. I, the only way I'll believe it is if I take this finger and stick it in the wounds of Jesus. Skeptic. Well, then Jesus shows up later when Thomas is there. I love it. Jesus didn't get mad at Thomas. Didn't get, he just said, hey, hey, Thomas, come here. Go for it. I want to prove to you, if this is what it takes, go ahead. Go for it. Our response to skeptics will make a difference. Can I tell you, arguing never wins anyone to Christ. I've never told someone, hey, hey, that, that's just stupid. I want you to think about that, how bad you need Jesus. That's stupid. And then go, you're right. I need Jesus. Thank you for telling me how stupid I was, how ignorant I am. I'm going to come to Jesus. I've never had that happen. But Philip's response to Nathaniel is so incredible. He said, you know, Nathaniel says, anything good come from there? And Philip says, hey, come and see. I don't have all the answers. Just come and check it out for yourself. Just come and check it out for yourself. See, here's all I'm asking, man. Come and see for yourself. And that's all I'm asking you guys to do over the course of the next two weekends. Not to claim you have all the answers. Not to claim you have it all together. Just say, hey, come and see for yourself. Come check it out. Because we're giving you the tools to help you step outside of those comfort zones and invite and bring someone that may be skeptical. Man, we, we believe, because why are you doing that? Because we believe that if you can get them here, if you can get them to come and see, that an encounter with Jesus will actually happen. And, and here's the thing. You hand out that flyer, that centuries, and they start giving you, or you invite them to Easter, and they give you some kickback. Don't argue about it. Don't, don't feel the need to defend it. 
say, come and see. You need a ride? I'll pick you up. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. Just come and see. See, here's the thing. We want you to invite. We want you to bring people to centuries. Uh, we want you to bring people to Easter over the weekend. And I, I, I'm out front with that. We, we want to pack this place up, but out. But can I tell you, it's not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and talk about what great crowds we had. The reason we want you to invite people is because we really believe if you can get them to come and see, that they will see a Jesus that loves them right where they are, and they will have a life change. Philip said, come and see. And look what happened. He comes and sees. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now Nathanael's still a skeptic. And look what he says to Jesus. How do you know me? Today's language. You don't know me. You don't know me. Jesus said, hey, yeah, dude, I saw you. Saw you while we were still under the fig tree before Philip even talked to you. She said, understand this, Nathaniel. I know everything there is to know about you. I saw you long before Philip even spoke to you. I know about the dark secrets that you keep that you hope nobody finds out about. I still want you. I still love you. I'm still after you. See, Jesus knows every detail of your life, guys. Every detail. Even the things we hope nobody finds out about, and yet he still chooses us. Look what Nathaniel says after that. Remember, Nathaniel said, hey, Nazareth, is not good come from Nazareth? He meets Jesus. Jesus tells him all this. Then look. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What happened? Over here. Come on, sit in Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. A few verses later, you're the son of God. What happened? Philip stepped outside of his comfort zone long enough to get his friend to come and see for himself. Come see for yourself. See, let, let me take some of the pressure off you. You and I, we can't change anybody. We can't. Come on. The, the truth is Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't rise again so that we could create some behavior modification program for people that don't know Christ. Jesus came so that he himself could step into their lives and change their lives. We can't change people, but if we can get them in front of Jesus, Jesus can change people. Any, anybody living proof of that? That you were in front of Jesus and Jesus changed you? Come on now. I, I, I get so tired, guys, I'm being honest, of watching Christians argue with non-believers. Watch them on Facebook. Watch them in person argue about people they disagree with. Can I tell you, do you know what the biggest issue is for people that don't know Jesus? It's not their political views. It's not their sexuality or how they view sexuality. It's not their stance on marriage. It's not whether they're pro-life or not pro-life. You know the biggest issue, what, it, what the biggest issue is for people that don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. That's 
That's their biggest issue. How is it that we concentrate, focus on everything, but the main issue, man, get them in front of Jesus. Get them in the presence of Jesus. And you know what, Kelly, I've asked them. I've asked them so many times. Or if I ask them, I know they're going to say no. Listen, let them say no for themselves. We've got to have more love, more tenacity than they have excuses of why they can't come. I, I'm telling you, we've got to be like the woman that bugged the judge to death until the judge, I'm going to do something just to get this woman off my back. Listen, if they show up, man, I, I'm just going to say yes to their invitation because I'm tired of hearing them ask. Get them here. here. Here's some sad statistics, and I'm closed. If I can get Bob to come out. Tom Rainier in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, said this, only 2% of churchgoers, those who regularly attend church, have invited an unchurched person to church. That means 98% of people that regularly attend church have never invited people to church. Can I just don't believe that? Well, then ask yourself, the last time I really invited someone to church. Not just, hey, man, y'all come check it out. But really invested. Get this. 82% of those that don't regularly attend church say they would attend at least one service if they were invited. 82% of those that don't regularly attend. You know what? Do you know the number one reason someone doesn't visit this church? They've never been invited. So let me ask this question. How many of you came to know Jesus because of someone in your life that you knew or know? Come on, hands up. They, they invited you to church. They invited you to a Bible study. They invited you just to a youth conference. They had something. And then you showed up, and man, Jesus changed your life. God has done some amazing things. And before I ask the last question, I want us to sing a song. I want to worship. Just for a moment. And then I want to ask the last question. 